Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening to this podcast. I'm recording from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. The podcast today is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to individual circumstances. The podcast is for information only and we advise excess Um, exercising your judgment before deciding to use any of the information provided. Professional medical advice should always be obtained before taking action. And we'd like to thank Delical for supporting today's podcast episode. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're going to be addressing the really tricky area of nutrition and dementia. You may not know that there are nearly half a million Australians living with dementia, and although the majority are living in the community, more than two-thirds of aged care residents have moderate or severe cognitive impairment. And we know as dietitians that cognitive decline impacts on nutrition in many ways, and so it's not surprising that people with dementia are at a greater risk of malnutrition. But the factors that compromise their nutrition also present real challenges in managing it. So today we're going to speak with someone who's worked extensively in this area. Yvonne Feely is an accredited practicing dietitian who's worked in a variety of clinical areas and settings, including acute hospital care, public health, community health, and in aged care, residential facilities and homes. Yvonne was a member of the Dietitians Association Working Party that developed their recent submission to the Royal Commission and informed the subsequent opportunity for Dietitians Australia to present at the Royal Commission hearings. In her current role now, Yvonne is the National Manager of Dietetics for Food Solutions Diet Consultants, working with a, a really great team of specialist aged care speech pathologists and dietitians who provide care predominantly in aged care homes, um, but also within the community and NDIS sector. She's really passionate about advocating for and improving the nutrition, food and health of older persons to improve their quality of life and enjoyment. So welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast, Yvonne. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jane. Um, thank you for having me here and, and thank you very much, Dalekel, for, um, for for allowing this presentation. Um, the, the area, as, as Jane mentioned, the area of um, nutrition and dementia is very, very complex. Um, I've worked... Um, in aged care, as many of you have done, you know, throughout our, our dietetic careers, um, it is an area that we, we're exposed to from the, the, the get-go. Um, I've progressed through a number of different areas, as Jane's mentioned, um, but more recently, as um, as my experience grew, as I um, moved into the community area and worked with the, the elderly residents in the community, um, I developed a, a real passion for improving their lives, improving their lot, and actually allowing them to actually be the best person that they can be. Um, 
there is a, an understanding that as people age, they stop eating, they lose weight, and that's okay. But it's actually not okay. And, and, and we actually are, um, are integral um, members in, in the team that actually can allow them to actually do as much as they possibly can and to interact as well as they can. So um, from working in the community, I was given the amazing opportunity of working with um, Food Solutions Diet Consultants, which actually specialises in aged care. Um, and um, it's been amazing actually being able to get into the into the um, the aged care facilities and trying to make a difference to the aged care facilities. I've been really encouraged by the um, the most recent spurt in um, activity and interest from the government um, in aged care, nutrition, malnutrition, dementia. Um, and I think this is an area that we as dietitians are really well placed to try and keep promoting as much as we possibly can. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's really a promising, a sort of exciting, particularly for maybe younger dietitians coming into the field of dietetics because, you know, I was mentioning to you before, I, I have worked in universities setting before with um, student dietitians and aged care is not an area that they usually say that they want to work in um, on graduation. Um, you know, it's sports dietetics, it's paediatrics, it's, you know, it's a lot of other things, but not necessarily aged care. But as you've mentioned, it can be so rewarding. So, um was it a community that sort of led you there? So you started off in the hospital and the sort yeah. of, let's say, traditional type, new grad type role? Yes, I did. I started working at, at RPA Hospital and had an amazing grounding there with uh, with some of the pioneers of dietetics and, and gained a, a lot of interest in the, um, the acute care. But once I moved into the community, I actually saw a lot more. Um, I think that certainly we work very differently in the community and the hospital and we actually can see who the elderly person or who the older person is where in their, when they're in their home. We can see how they mobilise. We can see how they eat. We can see the difficulties that they experience shopping, cooking, cleaning. And I think that actually gives us a lot better idea and, and, and um, understanding of just exactly how nutrition can really impact on their lives and how their lives can actually impact on nutrition. And I think, you know, that that next step from the community is once they get to the, to the um, aged care facilities, anything to do with eating with nutrition is actually removed from their control and their care. And I think that's a really, really significant thing because you may have been seeing somebody in the community who's an amazing chef has always been the matriarch of the family. They've prepared the food. The grandchildren love to go to, to Gran's house because she makes the most amazing cakes and biscuits. And suddenly that matriarch is placed in an aged care facility where the food that's provided to them is what everybody else gets. Um, they don't have any input. They don't get to set the table. They don't get the... the um, the ability to, to add a herb or a spice or do something that they want. And I think that makes a really big impact on how people eat in the aged care facility. And if you then superimpose upon that the fact that it's one size fits all and there's a finite bucket of money, it can really have an impact on on the, the older person in the, in the aged care facility. But certainly... If you think about the finances and, and the functional ability in the community, that also does the same thing. 
Yeah, I think that that um, aspect of choice uh, when someone is going into a, a aged care facility, um, and you know, we used to call them nursing homes. That seems to have fallen by the wayside. That terminology, but it's not a home, is it? Particularly for someone who has and a source of pride. You know, pr- providing food for their family was a source of pride. So to suddenly not have any input, as you say, can be a major issue for them. And often, when you talk to people about what's the one thing that they sort of fear or the hesitancy of going into an aged care setting is that loss of choice over, you know, when they can eat, what they can eat and and how they can eat it. So, but if we're we're going to look a little bit more specifically at uh, older adults with dementia, um, is there any information about how prevalent malnutrition is um, in people with dementia? Jane, that's a really good question and and certainly doing a little bit more research and, and trying to find some actually definitive figures was very different, uh, very difficult, I should say. Um, looking at the last of the Australian Institutes uh, of Health and Welfare Studies in 2021, they actually said the exact number of people in deme- of people with dementia in Australia is unknown. Um, they've estimated at 386,200 in, in 2021. However, the Dementia Australia has estimated at 472,000. So... Mm. We've got almost 100,000 difference in, in estimates from the two people. We they, they did make mention that 65% of people living with dementia are in the community, but we know that as people age, that actually reduces. So as the population is ageing, we'll find there's less in the community and more in the aged care facility. So that's, um, that's a bit of a bit of anomaly as well. And I guess that's that's often one of the tipping points, isn't it, for people to actually enter aged care um, is the cognitive decline and when they're not safe or can't yes. be left on their own, um, yes. that, that sends them into it. So in your... Um, so if we don't know how many people there are with dementia, then clearly we're going to struggle to know how many people have malnutrition with, uh, who have and, dementia. And the Dietitian Association has their figures about... The, the incidence and prevalence of malnutrition in the community, in in hospitals, in, in aged care facilities. So we actually need to be able to marry up the the unknown stats with prevalence of dementia with the with the estimated you know prevalence of dementia of um, malnutrition and dementia together. And um, currently, that's not known. So for anyone listening out there that's looking for a research direction, um, there's a lot of scope in this field. And imagine with uh, the government's interest in both dementia and um, aged care, there should be a lot of funding for some research as well. But so in your practice, um, if it's predominantly in aged care setting now, when when you are referred or you see people um, with cognitive decline or dementia, how often do you see malnutrition or risk of malnutrition in, in that clientele? Yeah, good. Once again, a good question. And, and in fact, yesterday I was um, visiting the uh, dementia-specific facility that I work in um, locally, and of the seven people, of the nine people that I saw, seven of those nine were at risk or malnourished. Um, obviously, they were people that were targeted. Yes. With the with the with the monthly weight tracking, as people who had lost weight, but um, but yes, I, I would really at least fifty percent of the people that I see would be either malnourished or at risk of malnutrition in the dementia dementia specific population. 
And, uh, and what are the sort of factors, if you can just give us a bit of a, an overview of, of the reasons that um, someone with dementia is at greater risk of malnutrition? Once again, multifactorial, there's so many things. Um, we know that dementia is actually a syndrome that affects memory, it affects your thinking, your behaviour and, and your ability to perform everyday activities. So we're not sure what it is about dementia that that causes that, that the, <clears throat> sorry, the uh, mechanisms underlying the weight loss and the undernutrition. But we do know that there's a whole heap of things that happen. We know that there's cognitive impairment associated with mal malnutrition. So we know that people with, with um, cognitive impairment lack or have problems with spatial recognition. So they don't have any recognition of the area they're in. Uh, the confusion that they might have with food. Um, what is this thing on the plate? What, what's, is this a plate? Is this food? Is this something that I'm meant to eat? Um, they, they often forget to eat and drink. They often overeat because they've forgotten that they've already eaten. They often eat non-foods. So there might be some plastic or there might be a straw or something like that on the table. And there isn't that recognition that this is actually something that should be eaten, they often hide food. And so um, the food that we might give them, if they're actually eating in their rooms, um, we may not know what they've got because you often then go through the drawers and find that there's strawberries in the undies or there's, <laughs> there's something else that, that isn't where it ought to be. Um, they often can't, uh, can't judge temperatures. Um, that they've lost the ability to, to, to that sensory thing with something's hot or cold, um, they can't communicate hunger. So if you can't communicate hunger and tell somebody you're hungry, then how does a carer know that it's time, whether it's in the community, whether it's at home? Um, so, so there's the cognitive issues, there's the eating dependency. Often the functional ability is reduced with dementia. Um, Often um, the assistance is, is very variable for some people. It's a matter of just sitting them down with a contrasting food on, on a contrasting coloured plate and, and, and prompting. For yes. other people, you actually need to fully assist. Yet for another group of people who actually need full assistance, um, they decline that. They're, they're quite definite that they don't want assistance. So the, the dependency as well as the cognitive um, uh, decline is an issue. The, the nutrition issues are a problem. Um, how do we know that we're providing people with the food that they like? Um, we may speak to somebody and get a whole gamut of things that they say they love, but in actual fact, when we speak with the carers or with their next of kin, um, that's not at all what they eat. Um, we know that there are taste changes. We know there are sensory changes. We know that with some forms of dementia, dementia particularly, you know, the frontal lobe dementia, um, th there's actually very specific ideas. That it's, it's almost an obsessive compulsive um, way of choosing food and there's only a set number of foods that will be eaten. I, yesterday I saw somebody who I know is very rigid with his eating and he has the same thing every day. He will eat the same breakfast, the same lunch, the same dinner. He has 300 mils of water with his lunch. He has 200 mils of water with his breakfast. There's no leeway with, with mid-meals in between. So often that dementia actually dictates what someone will and won't do as well. And it doesn't matter 
how much you provide, sometimes that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that people with de- with dementia often have difficulty with chewing and swallowing. And um, a, a Cochrane a Cochrane study from, from a little while ago, twenty thirteen, actually um, suggested that thirteen to fifty percent of fifty seven percent of people with dementia have swallowing problems. Yeah, I was going to ask That's whether huge. dysphagia is um, more common. Yeah, so it is. So yeah, yeah. and I guess a recognition for someone with dementia that there are things that they actually can't tolerate um, makes implementing a texture modified diet just all that much more difficult exactly right and and i mean on top of that you've got your behavioral disorders you've got the aversive feeding behaviors you've got the inability to sit still you've got people will sit down they'll be up within seconds and they're marching around the room and, and you've constantly got to, to re recalibrate and, and try and encourage people to be back Back at the table, there's paranoia. There's there's often paranoia that that we're trying to feed them something that's poison. Mm. Um, there's there's a lot of different behaviours that are very tricky for carers. Um, um, whether you're an amazing carer or not, that redirecting is is exhausting. And how do you do you see the attitude sometimes with um, not so much family members but maybe other healthcare professionals where they sort of consider well this is just a natural progression of the condition of dementia and really being too aggressive with trying to improve nutrition isn't going to really change the course of the disease or anything like that so you know what why do you what reasons do you give to the people around um, the person suffering with dementia that it's important to address their nutrition yeah, that I mean, there's certainly Jane. You, you, you're right. There's a lot of um, a lot of carers, you know, whatever they may be, paid carers, personal carers, mm. um, wives, husbands, um, do believe that not only as as happens with aging, but also with dementia, that it's normal. It's normal to lose weight. It's normal to to not want to eat. Um, and and I think the problem there is that there's actually a, a, a lack of um, nutrition literacy levels there. So it, it is actually a lack of understanding of what nutrition does, about what the importance of nutrition is, um, of what the, the link between nutrition and cognitive and, and functional decline is. So it's really, it is definitely our role as practitioners to provide that education um, at every turn. And and one of the things that that I do certainly when I when I visit my um, dementia specific facilities is each time I will will talk to the carers and say, you know, how are we going here? What are the behaviours that are happening? What are you trying to do to address this? Something as simple as if someone's decided that they're not eating anymore and they're not eating lunch, what do you do? Oh, well, if they won't eat, then they won't eat. Um, that's that's not really appropriate. When when somebody isn't eating, your role as a carer is to look for something else. Always mm. offer something else, and anything is better than nothing. Um, if somebody drinks better than they than they eat, then perhaps you concentrate on some some oral stuff. Oh, not supplements, but a, a high protein milkshake or something that's easier easier to consume. But the mandatory thing for carers and and for staff for um, anyone looking after someone with dementia is don't just accept when somebody says no. Yes, really need to look outside the square. You need to offer alternatives. Because my understanding from the bit of reading I've done and not on in practice um, is that 
poor nutrition or malnutrition in someone with dementia, even though it doesn't, you know, improving it won't change the course of the disease, but poor nutrition can actually accelerate the cognitive decline or have an impact on their cognition. So allowing someone to just continue that slippery slope downwards of nutrition will have an impact on their cognition. Now, certainly with, with the, there is certainly a link between dementia and cognition, and we know that if you're not eating, um, then you're unable to think well. So th- there's a certainly a, a very big link between um, lack of nutrition and functional decline. So yes. that's another thing that they are really focusing on, making sure, you know, with education and things, is make sure that you are actually looking at that link between nutrition and that functional decline because once the functional decline goes, then the cognitive decline is going to escalate as well. Mm. So a number of the studies and um, sort of support the fact that the functional decline is the thing that you're looking at first and, and you know, obviously the, the cognitive decline will follow, but look at the functional stuff first. Yeah, which I guess is the same for anyone, isn't it? Like in ageing, functional decline. So you mentioned that sometimes... Um, carers or staff will allow a person with dementia if they say no just to not eat that they won't push for something else so that's obviously a bit of a problem are there other um barriers that you see in aged care that do impact negatively on someone's nutrition particularly in a dementia specific and what sort of strategies do you use to overcome those yes definitely janet um, i as well as the the food refusal that that we really need to look at look at things is is definitely that that spatial recognition that that loss of memory about what this food is um i have watched residents deconstructing a sandwich pulling the bread apart and putting it on the table and taking the ham and the cheese and the things and and spreading it around the table because there isn't that recognition so it's really really important that we do have the appropriate education and staffing levels to to allow some redirection of those behaviors it's really important that we don't just think about a wet meal a meat and three veg it's really really important that we think about finger foods as well something that people perhaps can recognise or or even if they don't recognise it, they can deconstruct it, but they can actually still put it it together as a meal. Um, Really important that we consider mid-meals and things like that. We cannot ever expect to meet the energy and protein needs of people with dementia just with three meals. We really, really need to do the mid-meals as well. And that's one of the things that I'm constantly constantly I guess harping on about it in, in any of the facilities that I go to is look we really need those mid meals you cannot rely on meals they're and variable they're hit and miss depending upon the behaviors the moods that the, the the time of the day whatever and we really need to always have those mid meals and should someone um, who's working with people with dementia actually sort of remind them of what the food is like you're so deconstructing a sandwich should you say to them oh and it's a ham sandwich for lunch or just reiterate you don't have to say this is a ham sandwich but just say oh look we've got a ham sandwich for lunch you know sort of as conversational is, is reminding them of what the food is yeah that's really important. I mean, not only with people with dementia, but with any of the aged care arena, we really owe it 
to the residents, whether they have dementia or not, we owe it to them to actually explain what they're having for, having for lunch, for dinner. When we, when, we, when we sit in a restaurant, we are actually told what we're about to eat. Oh, you're having the beef, you're having the lamb. We actually owe it to anybody that we're, we're looking after, the carers owe it to the, their residents to, to announce what they're having for a meal and actually put a lovely positive spin at, oh, look at those lovely red um, orange carrots. Look at that lovely meat. Everything's looking lovely. We need to, to encourage the, the carers to talk up a meal. Um, if the, the resident with dementia has got, um, got a texture-modified meal, it's going to look the same, isn't it? It looks the same. It's a blob of meat. It's a blob of mm. orange. It's a blob of white. It's a blob of green. We need the carers to, to always let people know what they're eating so that in their restaurant, in their home, that their nursing home or their, or their community yes. home, they always know what they're eating. And whether there is cognition about what it is or not doesn't matter. Yeah, um, We still need to afford them the respect that we would do if they were eating in a restaurant. So we need we need to, to let them know what they're eating. We, there's a lot of studies to show that rather than just the verbal communication and prompting, that gentle touch actually mm. works quite well and, in fact, works better. If you just gently touch somebody's arm or shoulder and, and remind them to keep going, that, that that touch and that tactile sensation actually works often even better than that verbal verbal prompting. And are there any other suggestions you give to um, facilities about what the dining room setup should be for someone with dementia? Like are there guidelines about what the yep. table should look like or Definitely. noise, yep. those sorts of things? With um, people, people with dementia are very sensitive to noise, to activity, to, to um, different things going on around them. So it's really, really important that where you possibly can, that the dining environment is as small as possible. So looking at no more than, you know, say 12 people in a dining room area, it, it needs to look more like a family setting than it does a big hall of dining. It's really useful to have it adjoining the, the, the cooking area so that it actually, you know, looks like what you, what you grew up in. Um, yeah. It's important to have good lighting, no clutter, Try and have as, as little as you possibly can have on the on the table. You don't need lots of condiments, salt and pepper and napkins and all of that sort of stuff because that, that confuses somebody with dementia. Try to keep um, the knife, the fork, the plate. Obviously, the plate needs to contrast with the table because otherwise it's very difficult to see what somebody's eating. Try not to have white food on a white plate. If you're going to have something like a macaroni cheese, try and put it on a plate that you can actually see it. Um, try and um, make sure, as I said, the lighting needs to be good. The, the gentle, gentle sort of tapped, tapped music is very nice rather than just silence. It's nice to have music and and, and make sure that it's um, it's era-specific music so you wouldn't need to have pop music in a group of 90-year-old residents. Yeah. You might want to have something that's a bit more more um, era-specific. Era specific. Um, you want to have everything as calm as possible and as routine as possible with as few distractions as possible and the staff really need to be there with the residents with dementia, sitting with them, perhaps sharing a meal, perhaps helping Whatever they're doing, 
they really need to be focused 100% on that meal at that time so that the residents can concentrate on it as well. Um, how willing or able do you see the facilities that you go into um, to be able to implement these sorts of things? Are they pretty good on the whole at doing this or is it a steep learning curve? Um, it depends. It depends on the facility. Um, the, the facility that I visited yesterday is dementia specific and it actually, the model of care there is that rather than a big building or floors, they actually have 17 individual cottages. Right. And there are seven residents in each cottage and there are designated staff there. So that does have the family feel. It does have the small dining experience area and, and distractions to a minimum and that sort of thing. Um, some of the dementia-specific units in, in some of the larger aged care facilities um, do have different dining areas so that it can be a little bit smaller. Um, and, and therefore they can be the personal personal care and, and input. In others, they're a little bit bigger. Um, I think in all of the cases, yes, they are making an effort to try a little bit harder, particularly with the increased funding for food in some of these facilities. They are actually making a little bit more of an effort to, to engage dietitians to do mealtime experience reviews and, and give some advice. Um, but there's never never enough staff. Yeah, yeah. And never enough staff. And if you've got a table of seven people who have dementia and all with their particular needs who are jumping up and down, who are taking other people's food from their table or who are slumped on the table because they had some medication before yeah. a meal, it's very difficult for one or two people in that environment to, to manage everybody that needs yeah. to be managed. That's so, a massive challenge. Staffing so, as well as education, we need numbers. So you mentioned um, mid-meal snacks are important and that's something that you try and implement um, if you're seeing someone um, in this situation. Uh, you talked about finger foods um, to try and... Are there other strategies that you commonly use to try and increase someone's intake? Yes, um, we're very much into the food-first approach, obviously, as most dietitians would be. Um, and as well as the finger foods and things like that, we would we would engage in um, educating the staff and, and encouraging them to use food fortifications. So when they are making their meals, we are we are encouraging them to have a fortified milk made up in a, in a jug in the mornings in the fridge, so that that fortified milk made with with extra milk powder and things like that is used on their cereal, in their custard, in their soups, in, in their tea and coffee throughout the day so that they've got all of that that additional protein and, and calories. We're encouraging them to add extra creams and butters and, and things like that to the meals as they're presented. Um, and that can certainly help as well. Mm. Um, we are encouraging the, um, the use of, of natural and homemade milkshakes and smoothies and, and you know, where they can do have a smoothie day or have, you know, a, a different milkshake day or even things like spiders, which might be era-specific, you know. Mm, specific. I remember them. <laughs> exactly, which is a soft drink with a scoop of ice yeah. cream. And if you're going to, you know, it, it's a reminder for the older person who might have those those older memories that that was something that they really liked and, and, and it's going to add a little bit as well. So, yeah. you know, food fortification works, works really well. I mean, obviously... It's not always going to be enough and there are going to be some residents who are doing laps 
of the facility during the day and they're marching around all day. Um, and, and then it's very difficult for us to meet nutrient needs. Um, we do encourage the, the staff in those areas where we, where we do have very mobile residents to be feeding them finger foods all day, you know, as, as they're doing their laps to try and make a difference. But once again, sometimes that doesn't, that yeah. doesn't, you know, cut the. So in the, in those sorts of situations, and you talked about the food first approach and, and the sort of the making every mouthful count. Um, but when you are faced with challenges where you've got someone who's really not meeting their requirements, do you use, or is there a place for oral nutrition supplements for these clients? When and how do you use them? Yeah, no, there's definitely, Jane. I think that um, that despite the fact that we do try to do as much as we can um, food first and with fortification and things like that, there there is often a situation where we might need to use the oral nutrition supplements. Um, we may certainly need them where, where there's a, a resident who has specific dietary needs as well, like lactose-free or gluten-free yes. or... Um, and, and they're unable to get the variety and they're, they're unable that the, the care staff is not as confident um, with their preparation and, and the provision of a variety of foods and we might use them in that situation. We certainly, for those residents who are, who are doing laps, a, a good way of obviously of getting a very concentrated amount of calories and protein is to provide them with some oral nutrition supplements in my practice or, or in, in the way that I work, I would generally use the nutrition supplements or the oral nutrition supplements as a med pass. Um, right. we, know, we know for a fact that they need to be signed out by nursing staff. We know that they are given. We know that we get some feedback about what's been had. Um, in a lot of different places, you know, whether they're dementia-specific or just a general um, aged care home, um, where they are tight with staff, where they aren't always able to get back to the resident to to make sure that they're drinking, um, that is the best way for us to know it's happening. Um, but is it also a way that little and often is the best way for our older persons to be able to manage? Um, we often go into the to the nursing or the aged care homes and find that instead of having that the, the 80 mils TDS of, of you know, mm. one of the, the um, um, nutrition supplements, the care staff have just plonked a, um, a Tetra pack or a bottle or something beside them and said, here you are, here's your stuff. Well, at the end of the day, it's still closed. The resident can't open it. The resident doesn't know what to do with it. The, you know, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, so I think that's such a crucial element that's missing, isn't it? The explanation of what is in that that pack or that bottle because, you know, we talked about familiarity with foods and drinks and if you put something down that someone's never seen before, right. it's not surprising that it doesn't get touched. Um, but, you know, in other situations they might be more than willing to have it if it means that they don't have to worry about changing their food habits. Exactly. So once again it's that, it's that you know, we, we do try to do this the small frequent and, and do it as a as a med pass. We need to be mindful of whether whether the resident likes milky things. We need to mm. choose fruity, milky, you know, make sure that we we are thinking about the, the, the different food preferences and not just have a one size fits all. We need to think about timing for some residents having their their small small amount of oral nutrition supplement with their meal 
is good for them. For other people, it's good to have it in between. So once again, we need to be really mindful of that. We need to think about the temperature as well. You know, there is um, or certainly with not not in the aged care arena, but I have used you know, tetra packs and bottles and frozen some of the oral nutrition supplements. And for my population groups that I've been caring for, they actually are happy to scrape and have an ice ice block mm. with a nutrition supplement rather than just the stock standard having it beside them mm. at, at, a, at a room temperature. Some like it cold. Some like it. Might be it might be more relevant in Queensland than um, in Melbourne. <laughs> I also wonder sometimes whether uh, oral nutrition supplement. You know, we talk often talk about decanting it into a glass and everything, but I sometimes think that maybe the portability of the bottle or the tetra pack. If you've got someone who walks a lot, um, maybe it actually works in their favour that they if can just carry around. In yeah, the, in the in this you know little metal seal. Yeah. Then, um, then that can work well. But as, as you say, you know, there's an equal number of people who aren't going to try anything, particularly if there's some sort of element of paranoia with the, um, mm. with the dementia, who aren't going to drink anything out of a bottle because what's in that bottle? So I guess you once again, it's just becoming familiar again with your resident. Do they like hot? Do they like cold? Do they like sweet? Do they like milky? Do they like fruit? How do they like it? What timing? Um, but, but definitely there is benefit and, and a Cochrane analysis, you know, recently has found that there's definitely benefit. We all know that there is benefit to using oral nutrition supplements. The, the, the jury is still out about whether, whether using it long term has those sustained benefits or whether we really have a finite time. And I guess that's what dietitians are for, isn't it, to decide when that's appropriate and they will be effective if it's used appropriately. If it's used as a blanket solution, then it's probably not going to be, you're not going to see those results. But um, but they have an important part to play um, for some of your, your residents. Exactly. So can you've I given us, one, yeah, sorry, go. Add one little thing, sorry, Jane. I think the thing that we really, really need to keep in mind as well is we really need to educate the staff to not put a negative bias with those those oral nutrition supplements as well, um, very rarely do we see nursing staff, care staff say, "Oh yes, let's try that." You know, they're they're really nice or anything, and they'll often. I have heard heard staff give, "Oh, here's one of those drinks again. If mm. you don't like it, don't drink it. Whatever." We really need to encourage our our carers, our staff, everybody to actually positively present those nutrition supplements, positively present finger foods, positively present the high-protein milkshakes. It's not about would you like your milkshake, would you like your supplement. It, it should be this is what the dietitian has spoken with you about. Yes. It's really important that you have it. I'll come back in and help you if you need, um, but we really need this is really important for you and it will allow you to go to the craft session. It'll allow you to go to the exercise session with your friends or you'll be able to get out to the group lunch with everybody when they have their barbecue if we can get you a little bit more well. Yes, exactly. It's putting it in context, isn't it, of the overall picture. Um, so you've given us lots of tips on on how you work in your practice with um, people that are suffering from dementia, but if you were to give um, a, a dietitian who's new to this area um, sort of three key tips, what would be your, your top points um, of advice for them? I think really, really importantly, we really need to screen and detect early. We really need to make sure that we catch people before that co cognitive and functional decline 
starts to slip and we really need, to, in, in order to be able to do that, we really need to educate the staff how important the nutrition nutrition um, input is in, in that trajectory and, and, and um, progression through the dementia phases and things like that. So really importantly, screen and early detection, do the, do the education, education, education and have everybody on the same page. And, and the third thing is be really flexible. Just be mindful. It's an area which doesn't go according to plan. There is no routine. There's nothing that goes with with dementia um, more than unpredictability. So day-to-day changes, and we really need to be mindful of that. We need to treat everybody differently. There is the one person who is asleep all day and needs to be up all night, so we need to provide food for night. There is that person that sleeps through breakfast and won't get up then. We need to make sure that for the rest of the day, we make up for the fact that they didn't have their breakfast. We need to, to, to always be thinking ahead and be prepared for the fact that things can plag at any time, but we need to look for solutions. We need to keep in there and look for solutions. And that's where dietitians can really demonstrate their skills in terms of that individuality of, of the plan uh, and working with the client to say that, okay, our goal is to increase nutrition and protein energy and this is how we're going to do it based on that client. So I think they are great tips for everyone to keep in mind and really for any client that they're working with um, that that fits for, for all of your clients. So, yes. Yvonne, thank you very much for all your time today. Um, we really appreciate um, hearing your experiences of, of working in this setting, which, as we mentioned before, can be really challenging because ex- the exact um, behaviours or issues that cause malnutrition in people suffering dementia make it so challenging to manage the malnutrition um, because you're dealing with those those same issues and then you overlay dysphagia or all other things on top of it um, and it, it's a complex area. But as you say, it's so rewarding if you can see someone that can actually get out of their chair and walk to the dining room rather than sit in their room. So we appreciate your time today, Yvonne. Thank you very much. And we'd also like to thank again Deli Cal for supporting today's podcast episode. Thanks, thank Yvonne. Thank you, Jane. That's lovely. And please don't everybody think that's all there is. There's so much more. <laughs> yeah. Half an hour doesn't cut it. <laughs> we'll come back for part two. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Bye. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you, and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.